What's your mom? A working mom. And what did she write? The working mom. The working mom blueprint. blueprint. And what should they do? Go buy buy it today. The Working Mom Blueprint is now available wherever books are sold. Go grab it for yourself, for a friend, for a sister, for a colleague, so we can help working moms, all moms, to thrive, not just survive on their motherhood journey. Mm Welcome to the Modern Mommy Dog Podcast. I'm Dr. Whitney Caceres. I'm a full-time pediatrician and a full-time modern mom. I speak and write about equipping mamas to raise resilient, healthy children and to invest in their own social-emotional health along the way. Each week, we'll give you the practical tools you need to win at parenting without losing yourself. Welcome back to the Modern Mommy Doc Podcast. It's so good to have you all here. Thank you for being here. Today, I have Dr. Tracy Asamoa, who is here to chat with us about our lives. Dr. Tracy, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me on. So tell everyone who is listening what you do, your background, and how you came to the place that you are now with your career. Sure. Well, I will say my life, the 1.0 version is as a child and adolescent psychiatrist. I grew up knowing that I wanted to be a doctor. I can't really remember what I wanted to be before that. I think briefly a veterinarian, an artist, maybe a writer for a while, kind of quickly figured that animals that weren't furry and walked on four legs were not my favorite. So that kind of got me out of the veterinarian mindset. And then I became really interested in looking at what, what it meant to be a doctor. And, and once my parents heard that I wanted to be a doctor, they were all on board with that and, and kind of pushed that boat along with me. And so when I was one of those kids that went straight through, I kind of was a rule follower. I you know, decided that after college, I needed to go to medical school. And after medical school, you go straight to residency. And I did a fellowship and I didn't take any breaks. I didn't, you know, I didn't stop and pause. I just went straight through. And right now, I actually have a small private practice in child and adolescent psychiatry that I do alongside coaching. But I've worked in all sorts of different settings. I've worked in inpatient settings, residential treatment. I've done some juvenile justice work. I've done, I was on faculty at a couple of different academic places. So I've kind of run the whole gamut of practicing medicine. And my last position was on paper a great, great, great institution organization. It was an integrated behavioral health primary care clinic that, you know, in the perfect world would have been a home, a medical and a behavioral health home for the families and patients we worked with. You know, in reality, the way the clinic was run just 
like many of us have experienced, created a really toxic work environment, a really non-responsive work environment, both from a standpoint of how I think the docs and other healthcare providers and staff experience their day-to-day work. And from, I think also to some degree, really what we were able to offer the patients that we served and supported. And at some point I had this conversation with my husband. I said, you know, they're moving the bar. They're constantly asking us to do a little bit more with a little bit less. When we're asking for things that we think we need to really practice good care, they're telling us no and telling us we need to figure it out and put band-aids on it and make it work. And I finally said, you know, I'm going to draw a line. And if they cross this line, I think I'm going to have to leave. You know, in context, I was diagnosed a few years prior to that with an autoimmune disorder and knew that I wanted to create a sense of longevity and sustainability in my career and that that this was going to be an opportunity for me to figure out what that might look like. And real, I realized at some point that this position was not going to be that. And so I was going to be proactive and kind of take control over figuring out what moving forward looked like. And so I actually left that position without a great plan in mind. I actually just kind of said, well, I'm going to leave and give myself some time to explore what's out there. And so I was doing chart reviews and, you know, and I'm trying to remember if I was I was probably working at that point for an insurance company doing chart reviews and and justifying services and that sort of thing. Figured out pretty quickly that that was not my jam. That is not was not what I was supposed to be doing, but decided that, you know, I could really explore to see where I could go next. And that's when I stumbled on coaching. And at the time, I wasn't ready to fully dive into coaching. There wasn't a lot of clarity around how coaching fit into medicine, but it certainly was something that appealed to me. I ultimately decided to open my private practice and have been doing that for the last eight-ish years or so. And in the last few years have now started to partner with women physicians who are, you know, kind of at that point in their career where they've realized that they're either not in an ideal work situation or they're not quite where they're feeling called to be. They want to make a change. They don't have a, you know, a great idea of where to start, or they have an idea of where to start, but they're not really feeling empowered to do so. And so I partner with them to to kind of understand and make that change. So that brings us to where we are today. Yeah. And I think, you know, you and I connected from kind of a, a mutual contact. And the reason that she thought that we would be good to work together or to talk together is just because we both have that commonality of being in the medical field. And my work, you know, is all about burnout for women who are in the workforce in general, yours is with physicians specifically, but that I really feel like female physicians are like the landmark example of people who experience burnout and just keep on grinding through because that's what we've been taught that we're supposed to do. Is that what you find that that's just ingrained in us as physicians? You know, I think it starts from the moment that you say you just decided to become a physician because then your focus becomes, at least for me, it was on, well, I want to help people and take care of people. 
And specifically for me, I was really feeling called to take care of people who were kind of forgotten in our communities who have the least amount of resources. And so I always assumed that I needed to do as much as I could to use all of my available resources to my own demise, if necessary, to serve them. And there's never, I think, at least in our training, there's never an opportunity to, to understand, well, is that how you can show up as your best? You know, working unlimited numbers of hours and being available and having poor boundaries with the people that you work with and the people that you care for maybe isn't the way that you're showing up as your best. You know, it's you physically, mentally, and emotionally don't experience yourself as being your best. And then you can't put that out to anyone else. But that's not how it's measured. It's measured in kind of the outcomes that we can show and our output and, you know, what you can count on paper or, you know, on the screen, what metrics we can measure. And and the two don't always really align. I know it's so interesting because it's completely backwards, right? Like if we want to actually take better care of people that we're trying to care for, we actually have to take care of ourselves. Like I have learned over time, and this is because of my high needs child. I've learned if I actually want to be effective as a parent with her, I have to take care of myself. There's no other way. I can't fake it. The anger and resentment seeps out, (laughs) the burnout and the fatigue and the stress deep out. I have to genuinely take care of myself. We were talking about how after this, I've been working all morning that I'm going to go like have a solo like meal by myself with like an adult beverage. And that that feels really cushy. And it is, I feel so privileged that I get to do that. But that I know that taking moments like that for myself, even if it was with like a cheap bagel on my couch with just like the lights off, that that's, essential for me if I want to show up when I pick her up from school today and not really blow it with her as as a parent. The other thing I remember when we talked before was this idea. I was talking about how I have gone on this journey of doing medicine, but then also having what started out as a side gig and then ended up being this main thing that I do with Modern Mommy Doc. And how at some point other more senior physicians had said something to me about, you know, you're kind of abandoning your patients or what are you going to do? Like if you can't be there full time to take care of them. And that you said to me, you don't owe anybody anything. You are your own individual person and you get to decide what works well for you. And so I, I just want you to dig into that for others who are out here who are female physicians who are listening, because I have a lot of those, but then also for other just moms in the workplace trying to figure out their career. Like, how did you come to that for yourself? And how do you help other people get to that place? Yeah. And and I will say that it's, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that you partner with women from all sorts of different professions and walks. And although I primarily started with women physicians, I have women from all sorts of different walks, education, real estate, art that I partner with. Because what I have learned is that, you know, even though we may wear a certain uniform, the experiences of being a woman 
who is a parent, who has this other really important part of our life that is our career and fitting it all together looks the same, you know, no matter where you are. You know, one of the things, though, that I do talk to physician women about and physicians in general is, you know, first of all, for anything that you do in your life to be sustainable, if it doesn't come from some sort of internal motivation, it is just going to fall apart. It's going to fall apart because when it gets hard or when there's questions about what to do next, if you don't have an internal sense of what is guiding you forward, then it's, it's, it's going to be really hard to stay on track. And so this idea that someone else is going to tell you how to design your life without knowing the complexity of what your life is as you live it and experience it, it, it just to me is a no-go, you know? And, and I, can th- I think of other people's input as, you know, I can, I can listen, I can receive it, but I don't have to use it. And some of it's useful and some of it's not. And that's been through my entire life that I've come to understand what is useful and and what is not. And I also think that if it's not coming from that internal place, then how are we really able to use everything that we are in our wholeness to really show up and be at our best? If you aren't moving forward and making decisions based on all that you know to be true or all that you could learn to be true about yourself when given the opportunity, then how can you possibly show up in your full potential? And that's really who you're supposed to be. We don't have to be so one dimensional in how we define who we are as medical professionals or teaching professionals or, you know, legal professionals. There are so many different ways that we can use our own unique set of skills and talents to benefit the work that we do, that benefits from the knowledge and skills that we've gained over the years of working in whatever profession we're working in. And that's what we take out to the world. It's not this really narrow category of being a teacher who's only a teacher if you're in front of a class or being a physician who's only a doc if you're in a clinic or in the hospital seeing patients every day. There's so much else that can be done. So I, I love that. And I'm trying to think about this internal motivation. What is it for me and how would other people harness it? I think that for me, it's always been about using gifts that I know are uniquely mine in the world. So identifying what are those gifts? What are the things that when I'm doing them, I really feel like I'm in flow. I feel like I'm not even working. I feel like I'm alive, which tends to be talking with other people about really deep things, which is why I love podcasting because I feel like I get to like make fast friends and then to go really real fast, really being mission minded. So that matters, right? And then communication. So like things that are about communication or speaking, but for others who aren't quite as sure, is there something they can do to kind of identify what are those internal motivations or any tools you found that have been helpful? Yeah. I mean, I think one good place to start is to look at a point or time in your life when that was true. Like most of us have had some point in our life when we have felt that way, where we felt like in that moment, we were doing exactly what we felt we should be doing, or we were using our skills 
or who we were in a way that was unique to us, that uniquely served that situation. But maybe we also had a sense of joy and openness and curiosity around whatever that thing was. And so just being able to sit and reflect on when was that time in life. And I, you know, I am a true believer in that we have to go beyond thinking about things and we need to articulate it. So write it out on a piece of paper, talk to someone about it, you know, bring, you know, give air to your thoughts and see what comes up for you. And that's a great starting point because then you can start pulling out some of the things that you understand to be true about yourself that allowed that situation to be so. And if you can have a few of those different circumstances that you can identify and reflect upon, then you can start pulling together a few themes and realize that, oh, you know what? Like for me, I know I'm similar to you. I love, love, love having conversations with people. I also know that I love having really deep conversations with people. I love exchanging ideas and I love thinking. And when I started to see that theme emerge in how I've experienced different situations in my life, coaching started to make a lot of sense. Not just from the standpoint of coaching other people, because, you know, ideally when I'm coaching with someone else and I'm partnering, it's not my ideas that we're sharing. It's me partnering with them to understand their own ideas. But talking about coaching or coming onto podcasts and talking to other people just about what motivates us or how we can find, you know, strength and empowerment in our own lives. Like when you start to see those things, then those opportunities to actually lean into that, become more apparent because they're probably there. You know, those opportunities to use your unique gifts and skills and strengths are probably all around you. But if you don't know what those skills and strengths are, you, you might not have had an opportunity to say, hey, that thing has been staring at me like for the past six months to come over and explore and I've been ignoring it. And you know what? Maybe I should be paying more attention. And so just having that opportunity and and giving ourselves permission to do that, right? This is not a luxurious waste of time to sit and have time to contemplate who you are and what you're doing and where you want to be going and who you want to be. We absolutely need to be able to do that and should do that without guilt or without feeling, you know, like we're you know, misusing some valuable resource of time. Like this is part of us being our best selves, but being able to do that and then taking what is gained from that time of reflection and considering what really is in your life or what's coming to you and then being able to look at it from a different perspective. It's a great place to start. You know how like in high school, you could join different clubs depending on your interests or things people were into. I wasn't really that much of a club person when I was younger, but these days it feels like having a tribe of other working moms around me is so, so valuable. And it's hard to do in real life because we're all scattered and busy and have our separate lives. We have designed the Modern Mamas Club to be that club, that tribe, that support network for you. And we didn't want it just to be about what are the ways we can help you to be an awesome professional or what are the ways we can help you to be an awesome mom, but also what are the ways we can help you to remember who you are as an individual person? 
Voila, welcome. The Modern Mamas Club is on the scene. It's a community of mamas to support you. 24 access to our video library, live events, workshops, hangouts, relatable mom rooms and discussions, and a resource library and recommendations from yours truly, Dr. Whitney. Go check it out at modernmommydoc.com. What are, other than external pressures or external expectations versus internal motivation, what are some of the other barriers that you find with the women you're coaching that they have to pursuing a career or a different path? What are some of the barriers that you find that they're facing that you help them work through? Yeah, you know, I think one of the, you know, one of our, all of our biggest barriers are the things that we believe to be true, the assumptions we make about the life that we're living, the experiences that we're having, often based on, you know, what was baked into our brains throughout our entire kind of early lives for good reasons. But sometimes these become ways of understanding and perceiving the world that don't help us anymore. You know, this, you know, I, I've had clients that felt that had ideas about money, for instance, ideas about how they should think about money that impacted how well they were able to save money and to plan for their future that were based in ideas that came from how money was understood in their childhood, in their family of origin. And maybe thinking about finances a certain way when you were a kid with a family who handled money in a certain way was the way that you were able to be in your family with the least amount of strife and conflict, but they may not be helpful to you now. And so these ideas and ways of understanding the world and these beliefs that we have that we hold as fact that often aren't fact, but just really deeply ingrained assumptions and beliefs are probably the number one barrier that I start to help the women that I work with start to see their way through. And sometimes it's just even seeing that they're there. Like we don't always even know that we have these stories that we live in about how the things around us work that are actually coloring the way we move forward. And sometimes just pointing that out and seeing it, it was like, oh, wow, I did not realize that that's how I understood this particular, you know, circumstance. I, I might want to consider looking at it differently. What would a shift look like? So our thoughts about things are probably our number one. And, and then I think a close number two is this sense of not being able to feel okay about tolerating what might feel difficult or what might feel hard, or emotions that are really uncomfortable, and, and really believing that, you know, there may be emotions that are uncomfortable, that we can manage through that we don't have to, the work does not have to be around getting rid of the discomfort of the emotion, the work might be understanding what the emotion might be telling us and how we can then move forward based on that. That's like one and two, where we do so much of our work when I'm when I'm working with women. The last one hits very close to home for me. I think that's absolutely true, especially for those of us who are problem solvers in medicine, right? So I think that as a physician, you know, you're trained, here's a problem, there's a crisis, 
how do I solve this as quickly as possible, as efficiently as possible and find a solution, right? I diagnose the problem, I find the solution. And so as an example, in my own business journey, that a couple months ago, we had a major transition on my team. We had to really regroup. I was having a lot of like overwhelming think- feelings and had to really keep myself from moving too quickly from here's the problem and I'm going to react and create a solution. And instead, allowing myself to be kind of in this uncomfortable feeling of I feel out of control. I feel like, you know, maybe my investment was in the wrong place or that I had too much trust in the wrong person or whatnot. And I had to allow myself instead of moving too quickly to reactively fix everything or make everybody feel like it was all okay to sit there and rest and take time to think and to take care of myself and to sit with the emotion and work with my own business coaches and, and therapists to really be able to then make conscious decisions that would continue moving me toward the path that I wanted to go on, as opposed to springboarding me off to something else that could have actually been more damaging for myself personally and then for my business. You know, especially in medicine, right? Because in medicine, we are taught that discomfort and pain are what we are trying to help our patients avoid. You know, we help them manage their illnesses and help them understand their diagnoses. But we're also trying to help them avoid being in pain. Like if somebody's in pain, we're supposed to fix that. And almost to the degree that we don't always even work to investigate a little bit more about where is the pain coming from and what is the pain signaling to us, you know, even in working with our patients, but it's just like, oh, there's pain, we got to get rid of it. And I think we do that with our own emotions, you know, you experience anxiety. And, you know, the knee jerk response is, oh, my gosh, I'm anxious, I got to stop feeling anxious, anxiety feels horrible, I don't want to feel this way. How do I get rid of this feeling? As opposed to asking ourselves or, or even stopping and first saying, oh, what is that feeling anyways? Okay. Yeah. I I'm, I'm feeling a little bit anxious about that. Okay. Well, what does that mean? You know, what about, you know, starting to get curious about it and ask questions about it and ask what is the anxiety's purpose in showing up in the first place? And is it even an accurate response to the situation that we're in? Because, you know, emotions are to some degree constructed. They're kind of, they kind of come from our past experiences and what our brain quickly you know, what our brain quickly surmises is going on in in the current situation. And then our brain decides how we need to respond so that we can act in some way to get us back to a point of feeling psychologically safe and comfortable. It may not always be the most accurate assessment of that situation. And so even giving ourselves an opportunity to say, is this something that I actually really need to be anxious about? And I'm thinking of your situation with your business and, and feeling that you need to make a decision quickly and just having the, you know, the question of the curiosity behind, well, why do I need to make a decision quickly? Like, do I actually have to? Like, what are the things that are making me feel like I have to go this certain direction? And are those the things that I really want to use as data in making this decision? Yeah, exactly. Why do I feel like there's such urgency? Why do I feel like the walls will all fall down if I don't make a decision right this second? 
absolutely. Why don't I feel like this is sustainable enough to be able to write out me just not even showing up for a week? <laughs> don't I think that if this is worth it to pursue, that it will still be there in a week, even if I did absolutely nothing? Okay, so tell me if you have clients that you're working with that let's say, okay, you've kind of worked through what are the barriers to creating a different path for themselves. You've talked with them about how to identify maybe what's the thing that would bring them the most joy, contentment, satisfaction. What are some of the first steps that you usually suggest that they take to kind of get on that new path that they want to go on? Is it researching? Is it finding mentors to work with them? What are some of the things you think for all of our listeners who are thinking, okay, yes, I'm motivated. I shouldn't listen to completely to what other people think they should do. I should tune into my internal motivation. Then what? Yeah. Well, and that's an interesting question because, you know, the, the answer that I will give you that I do with my clients is, well, what do you want to do? You know, I really want them to understand and design and identify what is the next, next best step for them. Because what I think they should do, for one thing, is just what I think they should do, if that even exists. You know, I may have my own reasons for thinking they should go in a certain direction. That may have nothing to do with what's ultimately going to allow them to get to where they want to get to. So it's usually me giving them an opportunity to, to consider, well, what could the next step be? So I will say for people though, who are kind of on their own doing that exploration is just to keep it simple, right? If, if you've decided to make a, a change or you've come to a realization that you want to move forward on something, I, I think of like, what is the very next thing that you can do that has the least amount of resistance for you in this moment. It could be research. It could be speaking to someone. It could just be telling someone else that you've discovered this about yourself, someone who's a supportive, nurturing presence in your life that will really help encourage you forward. So there's, you know, it could be seeking, you know, a book to read or working with a professional or, you know, there's so many different things depending on the situation. But just taking that moment to say, what is the one thing that realistically I can do right now and making it simple and achievable on kind of a, I guess, a a bigger scale or kind of pulling back and, and looking at it from a different perspective. I often start the whole exploration with having the person that I'm working with thinking about if I was to come to you in, you know, two or three years And I said, hey, you remember the conversation we had about X, Y, and Z? You had all these really great ideas and plans about what you wanted to do. And, you know, I want to catch up. I want to hear what's going on with your life. You know, what's happening right now? And I have them describe if they had knocked it out of the park, they scored a home run and they were doing exactly what they had hoped to be doing. They were showing up how they wanted to and living that life. What would that be? And I want the reality, you know, housewives of wherever you live. I'm in Austin. Housewives of Austin. I'm following you around with the camera version. I want to know so I can picture what that story is. Because ultimately, it's that vision that becomes the North Star that's guiding you forward. That's going to kind of hold you as you do the little small steps each way. That's the North Star that's keeping you 
motivated and encouraged and focused on where you're trying to get to. So it's kind of a two part. So it's being able to articulate for yourself what that looks like, what that vision is, what that picture is, with whatever you want to achieve. And it being not just a goal, oh, you know, I want to be able to, in two months, be able to complete a 5K. Like that's an amazing goal. But who is the person behind that goal? Who is the person you want to be that achieved that goal? What does that look like? And so starting there and then saying, okay, so, you know, in a very simple first step, what can you do? And so if I want to, you know, run a 5K in two months, it may be, well, I probably should buy some running shoes and maybe a good sports bra and (laughs) we'll start there. Okay. So we did not plan this, you guys, but shameless plug for the Modern Mamas Club, where we basically help you create an entire centered vision and create like those small steps. I was not planning that when I asked you that question, but as you were answering, I was thinking we actually have a tool and a worksheet where you can go through that on our own website. And I'm sure you have that with your individual coaching clients as well. Dr. Asamoa, thank you so much for being here. Will you share with our audience where they can find out more about you and the resources you provide? Absolutely. Well, they can easily go to my website at tracyasamoacoaching.com. And that tells a little bit more about services I offer, my background. I also have links to other podcasts I've been on talking about other stuff. And so that's a place that you can just hear more about what I'm talking about and I blog about. I also am on Instagram and LinkedIn under Tracy Asamoah MD. So I'm there from time to time too. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here and we'll catch you guys next time. Thank you. mama if you want more of the modern mommy doc podcast make sure that you click subscribe so you don't miss any episodes we'd also be so honored if you shared with your friends and on social media with the hashtag modern mommy doc if you share about something that inspired you or that you learned from the podcast we'll be sure to share it on our social media as well thanks for listening